think that doing community is an essential part of being the body of Christ together. We worship, we connect as the body, and we go and serve as the hands and feet. If we're doing these three things, we're firing on all cylinders, we think, as the body of Christ. So we want to always be giving you opportunities to worship God, to be in your group, and to go and serve and share the love of God with our world. We are in our series, The Struggle is Real, and the foundation of this series is that Jesus affirmed for us that the struggle is real, right? How did he say it? How are we starting out this series? Jesus told us, in this world you will have trouble. Amen. That's, have a great day, friends. You know, just go on, meditate on that for the next week, right? No, no, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be awful if Jesus just gave the diagnosis? I mean, he does. He, does. he gives us the diagnosis, and we agree with it. It, it resonates with our experience, and, it just, and we know it's true. In this world, you will have trouble. Yes, that is true, but is there more? Praise God, there is more. He didn't end his statement with just the diagnosis. He said then, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Now, each week I just keep pondering this, praying on this, meditating on this, and it occurred to me this week as I've thought about this foundational truth, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That is a pretty broad statement on the part of Jesus, right? This is one of those statements that takes us back to this kind of apologetic that we just affirm. Jesus has to be crazy, if he says this, and it's not true, like, like, I have overcome the world, or he knows it's not true, that would just make him a liar, right? I've overcome the world, I mean, but not really. Or he's Lord. He is Lord of all. He is Lord of the world, and it is absolutely true that he has overcome the troubles of the world. And so that is what we affirm, of course. That is what we believe, that in Jesus, he, we, we have, we're covered, he has overcome the world, and he has overcome everything that we will experience in this world. And as we've already talked about, I mean, I mean, if we are willing to say, I'm sick, I need a doctor, Jesus help, he will come and he will cover us. Amen, friends? Amen. Last week we learned if we are experiencing depression, if we're wrestling with thoughts of suicide, Jesus has got us covered. He has got us covered. Every hurt is covered. Every hardship is covered. Every lie is covered. Every betrayal that we experience is covered. Every pain is covered. Every ache is covered. No matter what we experience in this world, it will be covered, even to the point that death is covered, right? There is nothing that we, if the worst thing that can happen to us is death, and we're all on that course, <laughs> the years are pressing on, Death is looming. I mean, if the worst thing that we can face is death, guess what? Jesus still has us covered. He still has us covered. He covered us on the cross. The cross has us covered. Our sins have been atoned for. The cross has us covered. We now stand in his righteousness. The cross has us covered because Jesus went to the grave but we are now covered because he rose to life. Amen, friends? Our eternity is covered in Jesus Christ. So, he truly has overcome the world. We have nothing to worry about in the one who has overcome. Amen? When I say amen, I'm really trying to, you know, we're, I mean, you got here, you got ready, you got engaged. Tell me you're engaging. We have nothing to worry about, right? Except that 
we do still seem to worry about everything. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, uh, we, uh, th- we, despite our cognitive and even faith affirmation that Jesus has overcome, he has overcome all the troubles of the world, despite that, we experience so much worry in our lives. So what I want to tell you this morning is where your worship goes, your worry flows. Please say that with me. Where your worship goes, your worry flows. Let me, let me, let me just sort of put this out there, and then we're going to spend the rest of the morning breaking it down. If your life is all about you, if your life is all about your hopes, your dreams, your goals, your ambitions, making much of you and your name, if your life is all about you, you are essentially worshiping you, saying, I am the most worthwhile thing I've ever experienced in life. I am the best thing I've ever known. I mean, if that is our life, that is our worship, and our worry will flow to us, and the result of that seems to be chronic illness, disease, backaches, GI problems, head, I mean, mean, all sorts of problems seem to come whenever we worship ourselves, when we think we can go in on our own, when we think we're all that, and all of our worry is internalized. But if our worship goes to Jesus, guess what? Our worries go to Jesus, and guess what? Jesus says, let me take that worry, and I will begin to make the turn. Let me fill you instead of with worry, I want to give you hope. Instead of anxiety, I want to give you peace. Instead of being fraught with with all of this anxiety, I want to give you joy. In Jesus, the worry flows and begins to exchange that. This is one of the beauties of this great exchange that we always have in Jesus Christ. I'll take your sin and I will give you my righteousness. I will take your life and I will give you eternity. I will take your worship, I will take your worry, and let me start turning it into peace, into hope, into joy. If you devote yourself only to yourself, your worry will flow internally. But if you devote yourself to Jesus, where your worship goes, your worry flows, and he'll begin making that turn. So let's go to Jesus's words where he gives us this promise and talk about how this may play out now in our lives. We're going to look to, um, this is a passage in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, and, and again, if, you, if you're just wondering what to do with Bible reading, with prayer, with a devotional life, this would be one of those passages, just go to the New Testament, go to the first book, Matthew, and go to chapters 5, 6, and 7, and just ponder long and hard in the rest of your lives these words from the Sermon on the Mount. Personally, let me say this, I go to these particular words on worry quite often. Whereas last week we talked about depression uh, and suicide, and, uh, and, and thank you for, for feedback on that, uh, and people kind of confessing, admitting, wanting to talk about real struggles around that area. I would say this of my own life. Um, I certainly perhaps have had seasons of melancholy in my life. Kids, if you don't know what that means, go look it up. It's a good word. I've had maybe melancholy in my life, but I haven't struggled with a depression or suicidal thoughts, praise be to God. But I would say I'm clearly susceptible to to worry. I have an incredible capacity to use my God-given imagination, my experience of the past, and to project awful outcomes for the future. So I need these words that Jesus gives. So meditate on these words, and here we're going to go to them. Uh, let's go. Let's, let's break it down right here. Therefore, so Jesus has been talking uh, to, to his followers. 
He's just talked about the love of money and how it leads to a lot of problems. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet, and I'm just going to pause right there. I got a sermon series percolating in, in, in my heart, and it's going to be the and yet series, because some of the some of the best things in the Bible, some of the best things from Jesus are these and yet. <laughs> and yet God saw their struggle. And yet God heard their cry for help as we journeyed through the Exodus this past summer. And yet God remembered his promise to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. And yet when the time had come to its fulfillment, God, and yet, can I get an amen just on and yet? And yet, and yet, God knows our struggle with worry. He knows what we need. He knows this plight that we have. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Have you ever seen a bird worry? I mean, it's a ridiculous question. I, I've never seen a, a, a bird nervously biting its talons, but I, I bite my nails like I'm going to find the answer to all the problems of life somehow in the pain and bleeding I cause myself in this perpetual outplay of my worry and anxiety. The birds don't do that. Have you ever seen a flower worry? Of, of, of course you've never seen a flower worry. It's, again, preposterous to consider a flower that, that would worry. And yet we as the image bearers of God, given these, in, this incredible capacity for imagination, for remembering, for, for memory, uh, for trust, for promise, for faith, we will take these past experiences, we will project them to the future, and we will always play out the worst possible outcome, which is essentially what worry is, simply taking past experience, projecting to the future, and saying, the worst outcome is going to happen, and yet the truth of our lives is that so rarely does the worst outcome actually play out. And yet some 2,000 years later, th these worries that plague us, these anxieties 
that we're so wrought with, fundamentally they haven't changed. I mean, if you look on any Instagram account, you're going to see pictures of outfits and food and drink, right? I mean, what's essentially is people crying out, you know, oh, you know, do you approve of what I'm wearing? Please approve of what I'm wearing. And then the anxiety we cause ourselves, oh, I've only gotten 150 likes. You know, I've never, by the way. I mean, like, oh, no, and yet we worry about these things. You know, do you approve of where I ate? Do you approve of this meal that I made? Does it look good enough? Is it presented well enough? You know, is it appetite? We, we, we're still worrying about these same things. We're still worrying about the most simple, basic needs that our Father knows that we have. And Jesus is inviting us. He is inviting us to a different perspective, a different way to live, a different way to use these gifts that God has given us. And he's telling us, do not worry. And worry, as I've experienced in my life and in the lives of others, like depression and like suicide, is clearly no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter where you were born, what income level you've achieved, how many degrees you have listed behind your name, what your title is at the office, or what they call you at home. Nothing seems to inoculate us against the susceptibility and the probability of worry. And we try to. We try to. We gird up our lives. We try to guard ourselves against worry, and yet worry still seems to get a hold of us, and it begins to divide us, to split us. That's the heart of the word worry here. In the Greek, we're going to read this word here, merimna, and it certainly gets translated worry or anxiety or care, do not have cares or these kind of things. But beneath that, in the real meaning of the word, it is also used for a division or to, to divide. And isn't that ex the experience of worry for so many of us? That our worry begins to divide us. Our worry begins to separate us. Worry separates us from the joy of life. Worry separates us from the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Worry separates us from this peace that Jesus has promised that he would give us. And we begin to allow worry to come in and begins to divide us, divide us from the very things that we desire and crave and that God is offering to us. And so every time we think about ourselves in a state of worry, we need, I think we should just begin to think about this state of, I'm experiencing this division. I'm experiencing myself being pulled away from the things promised to me in God. Why am I allowing my joy, my peace, my hope to be pulled away and divided from my soul. Even more telling, though, and you probably have heard this, but I'll, I'll always keep coming back to this because this is the image that really gives me. We actually then get our translation to the word worry from an old English word, wygren, which was a dog training term that whenever a, a dog or a hound got hold of its prey, it would worry the throat of the fox. So the hound and the fox, it would, so, so uh, you fall in here, so the hound would worry the throat of the fox. It would strangle, it would clamp down, it would worry its prey. And isn't that quite an image of what worry does to us? When worry hunts us down and sniffs us out and corners us and takes a hold of us, 
and gets its grip on our throat and begins to choke out the life that God has offered to us. Isn't that an image of worry? Choking out the joy, choking out the peace, choking out the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. How could this possibly be? How can this possibly happen to the children of God? And then I'm reminded of the words of Jesus who boldly declared, I am the good shepherd. Amen. He's the good shepherd. He cares for his sheep. But later on in John 10, when he's giving this beautiful analogy of the good shepherd who's going to lay down his life for his sheep, who cares for the sheep, he's the gate for the sheep, he also gives us a warning, right? And what did he give us a warning about? He warned us about a hound. He warned us about a wolf. He warned us about a wolf that will come to seek and to kill and to destroy. And isn't it just the practice of that wolf to come and to seek us out, to kill, to deceive, to destroy everything that God promises to us? Isn't it the fact that it seems to be that this hound will hunt us down and we begin to choke out these promises of God and we will begin to live this life of worrying and worrying and worrying about all of these possibilities of which almost none of them will come to pass. And so, Jesus gives us this command, do not worry. Do not worry. Do not allow yourself to be divided. Do not allow yourself to be separated from the joy, from the hope, from the peace that I promised to you. Do not allow yourself to have choked out from you by this wolf, by this hound of hell, who will seek to take away all of these gifts that I've offered to give to you. Now, the question, of course, we have to ask, if we're going to press this even a little bit further, is it then, is it then, since Jesus tells us not to worry, is it then a sin to worry? Is it a sin to worry? And the answer is yes. Now, bear with me, don't, <laughs> I know, like, what? Like, bear with me, follow me on this. Is it a sin to worry? Sin, of course, we think about in, in, in some awful ways. It's a sin to murder. It's a sin to rape. It's a sin to molest. It's a sin to lie to a person so that it would wreck their lives. We, we think of sin as these awful things that wreak havoc on our lives and havoc on our world. And yes, sin is those things. But sin, as many of us have heard and made reference to, sin, the origin of that word is that was an archery term. And to sin was to miss the mark. If you shot your arrow and you missed the target, you sinned. Ah, oh, I sinned. I missed the mark. And if sin is essentially the heart just missing the mark, what Jesus is telling us is that you are missing the mark of your life if you allow your life to be consumed by sin. You are missing the mark of your life if you allow yourself to be consumed with worry. To which we should be saying... Amen. Yes. It is not the mark of my life. It is not the aim of my life. It is not the goal of my life to spend it consumed in worry and anxiety. 
So when we think about Jesus commanding us not to worry and that this is a sin, we should not think about the Father then looking down at us and saying, you know, sort of, you know, in, in, in anger or, or wrath, you know, oh, they're worrying and I'm so mad at them. No, the image that we have then is the Father looking at us and worrying, saying, don't they know that I know? Don't they know that I know their needs? Don't they know that I care for them? Don't they know that they are of so much more value than the birds? And I provide for the birds. Don't they know that they are of so much more value than the flowers? And yet I care for them. Don't they know how much they mean to me? And yet they are allowing their lives to be consumed with worry. We are allowing our lives to be consumed with worry. And what we have here from Jesus is that it is breaking the Father's heart. It is breaking the Father's heart who knows what we need, who will provide all we need, and who cares for us. But we are allowing our worry to separate us, to divide us, to strangle out the promises, the joy, the hope, the peace promised to us in Jesus Christ. And the solution is so simple. I'm going to jump here to the solution, but let, let me say this here. The solution is so simple, it is almost always glossed over, it is almost always completely disregarded, and it is almost never put into practice. And I would say that for myself. Because worry complicates our lives. Because the very nature of worry is to think about a problem, to think about an issue, to think about a need or an area of life, and to make it so complicated we become overwhelmed. We think the solution has to be complicated. But the joy and the freedom, the promise right here, is that it is completely the opposite. It is so simple, which the solution to a complicated problem should be making it simple, right? The solution to this problem that complicates your life of worry is simply this. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and how many things, friends? Most of these things? Some of these things? Uh, some of you are getting it. A few of these things? It's so simple, we have to say it like school children rehearsing. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things, not some of these things, not a few of these things, not the things that I think matter most. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all of these things, and all of these things, all of these things that you need will be added unto you. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Because where your worship goes, your worry flows. This is, this is my problem. This is my problem. I got 99 problems, but preaching about this ain't one. I've got so many problems, but understanding this right now is so clear to me. I think it's too good to be true. I just think it's too good to be true. Could it be so simple, God? Could it be so simple that if I seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, that all these things will be added unto me? And the answer is yes. Seek 
first me, George. Give all of your worship to me, George. And everything that you need, not maybe what you wanted, not maybe what you had scripted for yourself, not maybe what you desired, you know, but, but everything that you need, I will give to you if you seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, and all these things will be given unto you. And so, verse 34 then, let's have that one pop up. So, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So this week, whenever your car breaks down, what are you going to say? Do not worry. This week, whenever your daughter calls you and she's crashed the car again, what are you going to say? Do not worry worry. This week, whenever the insurance calls you and says they don't think they want to cover the repairs, you are going to say, do not worry. This week, whenever your boss calls you in and you don't know what's going to happen, what are you going to say? Do not worry. This week, when you have a bill that's going to stretch you to your limit, what are you going to say? Do not worry. Whatever comes your way, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things that you need will be given to you as well. Give your worship to him, and your worry will flow to him, and he will take them, and he will own them, and he will exchange them for you for the peace that passes all understanding, for the joy that covers all the hardships of the world, for the hope that will lead us into eternity. Amen, friends? Amen. Do not worry. Do not worry. I'm going to get the band to come up, and they're going to help us to drive this home. And before they do, I want to point you to the program that you got on your way in, or you can take it on your way out, or you can just follow along on screen. Paul, the apostle who takes this good news of Jesus Christ and the life that he has in him out to the world, he writes to this church in Philippi, and he gives these words that are also some of my favorites. He says this, Do not be anxious. Do not be worried. Do not be divided by. Do not be strangled about anything. How many things? Anything. About most things? About some things? About a few things? My kids, right? I can at least worry about my kids. Do not be anxious about anything. About anything. But in some things? Most things? A few things? Do not be anxious about anything, but in all things. In everything. In every situation. By, and here's our key here, by prayer and petition. What is prayer? What is prayer? Speaking it to God. Giving it to God. Lifting it up to God. And I love this. You have to love this. Again, this is where my problem is me. Can it be this simple? Can it be this good, God? In everything, by prayer and petition. What is a petition? Petition is when you write it down and you sign your name. You get others to try and sign on too, and you say, this is what I want. 
This is what we want. This is what we need. And everything by prayer and petition. God is inviting us, lift it up in prayer to me and make a petition to me. Demand it of me. Put it in writing for me and everything. And I encourage you to do that this week and for the rest of your lives in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God. Are they demands? No, we can't demand of God but he invites us to make all of our requests. Lay them before the Father. Make, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I got to power through this right to the end. It gets better as it goes on. There's these great verses that says, whatever then is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable or excellent or praiseworthy, Think about these things. This week and in the weeks to come and for the rest of your lives, when you are finding yourself divided by being choked out by worrying up at night, making yourself sick, throwing up, getting ill because of the anxiety and the worry that is strangling the life, the peace, the joy, the hope of God from your life, friends, test it. Is it true? Probably not. It hasn't even come to pass yet. Is it noble? No. Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? No, 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 no. The things that we worry about does not pass this test. The one who passes this test is Jesus. Jesus is the most true, the most noble, the most worthy, the most excellent, the most praiseworthy, the most lovely, the most, the most. And so, where your worship goes, your worry flows. Give it all to Jesus, and he will give you that peace that passes all understanding. Amen, friends? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you care so much for us that you invite us into this wonderful new way of living where we cast all of our anxieties, every one on you. And in all things, we lift this up by prayer and petition to you in our worship, knowing that you will take these worries, you will take these anxieties, you will take these things that divide us, you will take these things that strangle us, you will take these things that the evil one wants to use to steal, to kill, and to destroy our peace to steal and kill and to destroy our hope, to steal and kill and to destroy our joy, and you will take all of these things and you will give us the peace, the peace that passes all understanding. We will seek first your kingdom and your righteousness in the good faith of knowing that all that we need will be given to us as well. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. We give all of this to you, Lord Jesus. We give our worship to you now, Lord Jesus. Amen. Friends, we've had a rhythm during this series where we're using our songs not just as a preparation for worship, but as a response to the Word of God. So I invite you to respond and worship by lifting up your voices to the one who is worthy of all of our worship. Jesus, instead of going out into a desert to sit underneath a broom tree, he went up onto a hilltop where he was nailed on a cross. 
And on that cross, Jesus cried out the same words of Elijah, take my life. But he didn't say it out of depression. He didn't say it out of despair. He didn't say it as a suicide. He declared that as an offering. My father, he had prayed before, if it doesn't have to be this way, I don't want it to go this way, but if it is going to go this way, then father, take my life. Take my life so that they may live. My simple point, my simple message, my simple ending is maybe for just one person here, but the one person who would need it, and this would make all the difference. You do not have to take your life, my friend. You do not have to take your life, my child. You don't have to take your life because one has already given his life for you so that you might live. Don't do it. Surrender it to him. Let me just pray for us, and then let's have some time for worship. Heavenly Father, I know this issue of suicide has touched my life in significant ways that I'll never forget. And it has shaped me. It has been a part of making me and molding me part of creating empathy in me, a part of creating passion in me, but oh, I wish it had never had to have gone this way. I wish it could have been done in other ways, Lord. So my prayer is for anybody here this morning who might be at that place where they would ever contemplate taking their own life, that they we would break through into their mind, into their heart, into their soul this morning, so that they would know that you have already given your life for them so that they may live forever in you. And if one person prays that prayer today, Lord, it is all worthwhile. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for giving your life so that we can, might live. Amen. And the obvious, for us, the path has been cleared. The idols have been torn down. And we have now a way and a truth, and a life in worship. We now have a Savior who is the way, and the truth, and the life that invites us to worship Him and Him alone. We have Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, and He is the way. He is the life. He is the truth of God, the Word living for us put your faith, put your trust, put your worship in him. And as you go through this way of worship, anything that is working its way between you and God, some idol, fame, sex, beauty, love, uh, 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 a goal, athleticism, a what, whatever it is, and the human heart can make anything an idol, can allow most anything come between us and God, Christ will lovingly bring you back to himself and show you the way and the truth and the life in him and will root these idols out of your life. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for me and let us consecrate ourselves with finally the perfect song. I can't believe we waited this long for desert song. It's the perfect song. So we're going to pray and we're going to sing the perfect song to consecrate ourselves to this. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for revealing this for them, for us. Revealing this exodus for us. 
And now, without any more flowery words or long-winded messages, Lord, we ask for our exodus. Lead us out of any idolatry, out of anything that comes between you and us. Lead us out of the way that leads to destruction, to pain, to brokenness, to heartache, even to death. Lord, lead us out and lead us into your way. Lead us into your truth. Lead us deeper into your life. In Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship.